Hello, and welcome to Altitude Crime. I'm your host, Amelia Allen, and as always, we are talking Colorado true crime. First, I want to give a huge shout out to my returning listeners. As always, you guys are rock stars. It's so nice to have you coming back every week. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. And if you haven't already, you've got 20 other episodes to go back and binge. Please remember to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform. This will help other people find Altitude Crime and keep our crime clan growing. Today, I am actually covering a listener request about Kalia Wilson. This case started on March 28th, 2010. Kalia did something that day that so many of us did at her age. The 12-year-old left her house to go to a birthday party, and on her way to the Greeley Mall, where she was supposed to meet a friend and then walk to the birthday party, she disappeared and was never seen alive again. Kalia Janelle Wilson was born on June 25, 1997, in Westminster, Colorado. At the time she went missing, she was in the sixth grade at Brentwood Middle School. She had brown eyes and brown hair and was everything that you would assume the typical 12-year-old girl would be. She liked drawing, she liked flowers, and she often did crafts with her mom. She was extremely active at the churches in Greeley and was a well-behaved kid. She had good friends and they were also good kids and she just didn't run in a bad crowd. Her teachers would later note that she liked school and while she was kind of a soft-spoken kid, she really got excited during group discussions in school and really participated a lot. On the day that she went missing, Kalia was serving looks. She was wearing a white tank top with a white and pink shirt over it, jeans, and red tennis shoes. On that fateful day, she went to church with her mom that morning, followed by lunch at a restaurant with her grandmother. At about 3.40 in the afternoon, Kalia left her house to walk to meet her friend. She would be walking about eight blocks away. And while she would have to cross the U.S. 34 bypass, the rest of the walk was pretty much just through a residential area. And she would be traversing an area that was also well populated and considered generally safe. This was not uncommon for Kalia to walk to some place because the family actually didn't even own a car because they could just really easily and safely walk to where they needed to go on a daily basis. So while Kalia was born in Westminster, at this time she was living in Greeley, Colorado. For those of you not familiar with the city, it's about one hour northwest of Denver and is the home of the University of Northern Colorado. At the time of Kalia's disappearance, the population of Greeley was around 93,000 people, so it's not a very large town. 
I took a look into crime statistics at the time in Greeley, and they really tend to be around the U.S. national average for the year that Kalia went missing. So I wouldn't really consider Greeley any more dangerous than any other town in America. And for a community that was considered relatively safe, this case totally rocked everybody's sense of safety. And it was totally unique to the crime landscape of the city. Before leaving for the birthday party, Kalia had told her mom that she would be home around 7 p.m. that night. Her mother, April, knew something was amiss once 7.10, 7.20, 7.30 started to roll around. It was unlike Kalia to not come home or let her family know where she was and what was going on. April immediately started to track down Kalia's friends and call their parents, call their houses, and see if she could find her daughter. With no luck from any of Kalia's friends, April ended up calling police at 10 p.m. Police started a search immediately. They also spoke to all of Kalia's friends to see if they could get any kind of lead on where she may have been. What they did find out was that she never met up with her friend at the mall or made it to the birthday party. The plan for the day was that Kalia was supposed to walk to the Greeley Mall, meet her friend, and then walk the rest of the way to the birthday party. So the fact that she made it to neither of those locations was really alarming. Later on in the investigation, there would be two eyewitnesses that came forward who saw Kalia at the mall, and this sighting was placed around 30 minutes after she had left her home. So investigators knew that she had at least made it that far, just not far enough to meet her friend inside the mall. The next day, on Monday, March 29th, April and Kalia's older brother, Mackenzie, started to hang missing person flyers throughout Greeley. The police at first tackled Kalia's case as a runaway situation, but she had not run away before, and they abandoned this theory pretty quickly once they kind of knew that Kalia was a pretty good kid and this wasn't really indicative of behavior that she had showed in the past. By March 31st, it was really clear that Kalia had not run away and they really started to amp up the investigation to try to find her. Part of the efforts included search dogs, but they just could not pick up a scent. Press releases were sent out about the case and there were 25 officers diligently working on the investigation and any leads. But this search was difficult. Police received hardly any leads in proportion to how visible and terrifying this case was. You often see that when there's some notoriety going on with a case, you have people coming out of the woodwork with false reports and things like that. They didn't even get up to that kind of volume. They received and checked in on about 300 different leads, but the information just dried up really fast. The FBI was notified of Kalia's disappearance, and they also sent another 50 agents to help in the search. By April 1st, more searches had been organized, and the Facebook page Prayers for Kalia Wilson's Safe Return was created. The case was featured on Nancy Grace on April 2nd, 2010, and it wasn't Nancy Grace on the show. It was actually Jean Casares filling in for her. 
And the public got a little bit more information about the case during this episode. Kalia did not have a phone or purse of any type with her when she walked to the mall, but she did take her inhaler with her as she had asthma. In the Nancy Grace episode, FBI Denver spokesperson Dave Jolly encouraged anyone who saw an inhaler like Kalia's to let them know immediately as it could be some kind of clue to where she was. Also noted during the episode was that she did not leave home with a birthday present, and they kind of made a really big deal about it, but first of all, I don't really see how this is really relevant to the case, and she was going to a mall. What's to say she wasn't going to buy a gift for her friend there and then go to the birthday party? It's kind of one of those things I think happens in the 24-hour news cycle that they kind of have to fill time, and it kind of makes some of these details that probably aren't super relevant a big deal. I just found that kind of interesting in looking back at this case. On April 5th, there was an appeal by the police to newspapers for Kalia to come home, just in case, for some reason, she was really a runaway. The article basically said that she wouldn't be in trouble, for her to just come home, and it didn't matter how public this had gone, they would just be happy to have her home and safe. This was at the eight-day mark into the search for her, and by this time, police had already visited 1,000 houses in the nearby neighborhood. Movement on the case would really stall through April and the beginning of May 2010, but May 19th, is kind of a big date in this case because a few things happened that day. The first was that a gentleman named Robert Lorenzo Montoya was arrested. Now, Montoya was Kalia's boyfriend. He was 18 at the time and she was 12. According to Montoya, the relationship had actually started in the fall of 2009, the year before, when he was still 17. So you may be wondering how these two met. Well, Montoya was actually kicked out of his home when his mother invited her boyfriend to live with her. This particular boyfriend had a history of child sexual assault, so she knew she was putting her children in danger by keeping them in the house with the boyfriend. Now, you know I am usually pretty objective when discussing the people in the cases I cover and the decisions that they make. So I'm really not going to dive into this too much, but I'm pretty sure you can hear my eyes rolling from here. I get you're protecting your kids, but how about just don't be with that person? But I'm not here to judge. April, Kalia's mom, was acquainted with Montoya and his mother, so when she found out that he'd been kicked out, she offered for him to stay at their house for a while. So April initially thought that Kalia and Montoya were just friends, and that would be totally normal, right? Like, he's living in the house, they're around each other, no big deal. That was until she learned that during this stint that he stayed at the house, a sexual relationship between Kalia and Montoya had began. When April found this out, she kicked him out immediately. No ifs, ands, or buts. From here, reporting gets a little sketchy. Some places say that Kalia ended the relationship and wasn't interested, while others say that she kept seeing Montoya and that her mom had to kind of step in and tell him to back off. But either way, Montoya wouldn't let it go. 
He started following Kalia around, even being caught looking into the windows at her middle school. So I know what you're thinking. This guy got arrested. Open and shut case, right? No, because he was not arrested in an attempt to solve Kalia's murder. As police started looking into the case and into Kalia's daily life, they found out about this boyfriend and he initially was not a person of interest and complied with questioning, seems to be no issues. Well, that was until cops learned of the distasteful issues of the relationship and the sexual portion of their relationship. So Montoya was actually arrested on the basis of sexual assault. The charges he received were sexual assault on a child and sexual assault on a child as a pattern of abuse. Both charges were felonies and Montoya was held on a $100,000 bond. So that would be a pretty big development in the case as it was. But another sad thing happened on May 19th. This same day, Kalia's body was found, almost two months after she'd gone missing. Her body had been found at 6 a.m. in an irrigation ditch. A worker had gone to inspect its water level and found her body. This ditch was located a half mile from her home and one mile from the Greeley Mall where it's assumed that she disappeared. Her body was actually at the bottom of a 10-foot drop in this irrigation ditch and was in three feet of water and just basically churning as this water was coming down this fall and then going into the rest of the ditch. And I know you're wondering, was this area searched? Yes, twice, and even by search dogs, and nobody found anything in that area. Due to both the time and, I'm assuming, the involvement of water, the decomposition of Kalia's body was so bad, investigators couldn't even tell at first if the body was male or female. Because her body was so badly decomposed, Kalia had to be identified using dental records. The one thing that her body could tell was that she had died sometime prior to her body being found. So even though that area was searched, it's not like somebody had held her for a long time and like killed her that night and dumped her body. It had been decomposing for some time and she was more likely killed shortly after going missing. And the death certainly did not look to be accidental. So the police started a homicide investigation from there. They pretty quickly ruled out Kalia's family, and actually prior to the Nancy Grace episode about the case on April 2nd, just about a week and a half after Kalia went missing, there was a consensual search of the Wilson's home, and the police ended up only taking what DNA evidence they needed to help match to Kalia if she had been found. On May 25th, just a few days later, the memorial service for Kalia happened. According to the National Association Against Child Cruelty File on Kalia's crime, written by Michael Weitzman, Kalia was cremated and April took her remains home so she could, quote, talk to her daughter, unquote. The next thing that we know about in this case actually happens about a year later on March 22nd. On this day, the trial for Montoya's sexual assault charges started. 
And during the trial, Montoya admitted to the sexual contact, but held that he was still 17 at the time. He also would make an interesting claim during the court case that Kalia would try to get him to kind of be really rough with her when they had sex. I don't know if this is just specific to line of questioning for this kind of thing. Again, I don't know how relevant it is, but it kind of feels like he's pushing off some of the responsibility of them having sex on her. And I, I, I don't know. I just don't really like that. <laughs> A few days later, on March 25th, Montoya was convicted and received eight years to life for the charges. And from there, no one heard much about the case until 2017. In May of 2017, on the seventh anniversary since Kalia's body was found and over seven years since she went missing, Greeley Police Chief Jerry Garner said that Greeley Police know who killed Kalia, but they just needed to stack up the evidence to get an arrest and go to court. There has been very little released about what evidence has been found in the case, which of course is always understandable because it could be the difference of police being able to confirm a suspect or not, and also being able to provide that confirming information for a trial. One of these pieces that has been held back the entire time is the manner and cause of Kalia's death. They do know the manner and cause of death, but have not released it publicly, which has led to a lot of question marks from the public on this. But since this statement went out, there's been no more movement on the case. This really makes me wonder if it's just been hard for police to really gather all of the information that they need to really make an arrest and make it stick through a prosecution. As so many times this happens, Police and DAs don't want to take something to trial or to a judge that just isn't going to be able to go all the way. They want to make sure that they can make it count when it comes to especially murder investigations. Montoya, Kalia's boyfriend, eventually had the charges against him dropped. He had put through an appeal, and it was based on the fact that he was also a juvenile at the time that the sexual relationship started and was happening. I can't find a lot of information on this, but I'm basically assuming that they were able to prove that he was 17 and that that's when the sex was happening and it kind of took everything else off the table. Kalia's case was really huge in the Greeley Police Department's history. And it actually reminded the Greeley police of a disappearance of another 12-year-old, Janelle Matthews, in 1984. The cases of both 12-year-olds are still currently unsolved. And if you're wondering more about Janelle, I will plan on covering this case later on. Kalia's case made national headlines. And in her honor, the Northern Colorado Child Abduction Team was created. This team includes all police agencies in Weld County, which is the county that Greeley is situated in, and it also includes the Department of Human Services. April Wilson, Kalia's mom, is an honorary member of this team. Kalia's brother, Mackenzie, who was 17 at the time of her disappearance, is now a videographer and photographer. 
All that remains of this case is an old wooden cross that stands close to where Kalia's body was found in the irrigation ditch. According to Michael Weitzman's report on the case, Greeley Police Chief Jerry Garner said, quote, We know it is a solvable case and we intend to solve it, unquote. But here we are, 11 years later, with really not a lot more questions. I have to assume, like I said, either the same suspect is in their eyes and they just don't have all of the evidence they need to make a really solid case, or who knows, that lead could have fallen apart for some reason. The Greeley police did have a number of people they were looking at, but as far as I can tell, no other persons of interest or suspects have ever been named. In 2011, the FBI put up a $20,000 reward for information for Kalia's case, and as far as I can tell, that reward is still active. If you have any information about Kalia's case, no matter how small or big, please call either the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. That's 1-800-225-5324 or the Greeley Police Department at 970-351-5315. You can make an anonymous tip with the police, although they would like to be able to follow up with callers if they can. So you know what time it is now. Let's go through some musings. And a lot of these are really multifaceted, so bear with me as I try to unpack my thoughts on this case. Musing number one. My first thought on this case has to do with the Amber Alert. And if you've been under a rock for pretty much forever, this is an alert that goes out for children 17 years and younger that go missing. So if you're wondering why the Amber Alert system was not used in Kalia's case, it's because authorities were unsure if she had run away or not. And the Amber Alert is really only when they are for sure that a child has been abducted. According to the Department of Justice, an Amber Alert is put out when, quote, the law enforcement agency believes that the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death, unquote. So I'm sure this happens plenty of times that the authorities have to rule out the runaway theory first. And on the flip side, If an Amber Alert did go out for every single kid that ran away or didn't come home on time or whatever, we would probably discredit them when we get that notification on our phone versus the reaction that you have now that you're like, oh, it's an Amber Alert. So the restrictions on using it are definitely there for a reason. Musing number two. So this has to do with Kalia's mom. And in my own personal opinion, I don't think her mom was at fault at all. I could be wrong. There's people who thought Ted Bundy could never do what he did, and here we are. But regardless of your thoughts on her, I do give her some props for how she handled the situation with Montoya, the boyfriend. And honestly, the Nancy Grace transcript on this case is a little hard to read because the callers and even some of the experts really, really rail on April Wilson. They hit on the like, why is she dating a 17-year-old when we know that April found out that was happening and kicked him out of the house right away? And then there's this question of like, why is she crossing this big street on her own referring to the U.S.? 
34 bypass she had to go through. And I'm sorry, but on this one, if you're going to put April Wilson on trial, then put all mothers at or below the poverty line on trial. Because growing up in a lower socioeconomic area, guess what? Most kids have to walk to school or the mall or friends' houses or wherever they want to go. So honestly, to me, this was kind of a privileged response and really levied against April for not really a good reason. There was even one person saying, like, why did she allow her daughter to even walk anywhere with a medical condition, like referring to her asthma? It's like, calm down, people. It's asthma. Like, world-class athletes have it. Like, I don't know. They kind of fired at April a lot. And like I said, I could be reading this wrong, and Kalia could have had this horrible home life, and like, I have no clue. But it just seemed a little over the top to me with what we know now. Musing number three. So this one is about Montoya, the ex-boyfriend. So I'm kind of wondering if when police arrested him, they were kind of thinking they could question him and pin him for both sexual assault and killing Kalia of, you know, maybe they would have had the negotiation piece of like if he fessed up, they could find a cushier place for him to be since jail can be very hard for child molesters. On another note on this, you can see how a situation like this can go wrong and how kids do get groomed in situations like this. Because if you look at Kalia, if she didn't have the support of her family and of her mom kind of derailing the situation, it could have turned out a lot differently. And you can see how kids that don't have the support of their family or their community could kind of not be directed away from something like this. In regards to Montoya's appeal, I get that he was 17 when it happened, but let's be honest, the guy is not that innocent in the situation because clearly he wanted to continue to have a relationship with her and he was continuing to follow her around, but this isn't really evidence since if they weren't actually having sexual relations when he was 18, I guess it's kind of irrelevant for the actual case. But I don't think he's quite as, like, innocent as he pleads to be if all of these things allegedly happened. And I'll be honest, speaking in generalities here, guys that do this are just not okay to me, like, regardless of the circumstance. So maybe I'm just kind of jaded in judging a situation like this or a guy like this that gets involved with a 12-year-old. But I'm okay with being jaded on that. (laughs) Musing number four. So something that added a lot of sensation to this case were rumors that Kalia had told her friends that she was pregnant at the time. And it really was a piece that got the media all up in a tizzy. This, I don't know which way it could go. I wonder if it could be a teenager just trying to gain some sense of attention. That's a good way to do it. I've actually seen that happen when I was a teenager. But the rumors have remained just that. Kalia's body was so badly decomposed that this could not even be confirmed in an examination of her body. You could pose, though, that if you're suspicious of the ex-boyfriend, this would be good motivation to get rid of her when you've impregnated a 12-year-old. So it does definitely add a lot of questions to the case. Musing number five. So let's dig into kind of the psychology and logistics of this case a little bit. 
So Kalia was five foot one and 145 pounds. So she wasn't quite as slight as some other kiddos, maybe her age. In the Nancy Grace episode about the case, a criminal profiler named Pat Brown called out that Kalia's weight may have not made her attractive to a stranger. And I don't mean that in a perception sense or physically. I mean in how easy it would be to snatch her. And he mentioned the possibility of the perpetrator being someone that she knew that would be able to lure her to them without having to like physically go out and grab her. So it opens up the question of was the person who abducted and killed her somebody she knew? But again, on the flip side, for a town with not any exorbitant crime to write home about, according to the Nancy Grace episode, there were 133 sex offenders in her area at the time of her abduction. It was also pointed out in the same episode that the severity of her asthma could have affected what would happen if she was in a bad situation of like if she had an asthma attack, it would render her a really easy target. Musing number six, the evidence in this case is a combination of promising and challenging for investigators. We know she at least got to the area of the mall. She was seen on both surveillance and by eyewitnesses to be in the parking lot. And the belief right now is that her body was probably dumped elsewhere along the irrigation ditch and some torrential rains that had been in the area had moved her body down the storm drains. So literally, she could have been dumped anywhere along there, although you would have to think that it maybe wasn't super far away just due to the size of a human body and moving down a ditch like that. You would think it'd only be able to move so far. This force of the water affected her body's decomposition, and I wonder if proving some of that evidence in regards to her autopsy could be challenging in prosecuting someone that you could possibly get an expert that would say, oh no, this is not a ligature mark or whatever. It's just from water motion or whatnot. So it definitely seems like the evidence that they probably do have is still not super concise or clear. Musing number seven. So this case has kind of faded into obscurity. It kind of reminds me of Dylan Redwine in the way that it seemed like there was such a clear cut and then things just kind of stopped happening. Or that, you know, the cops had a suspect, but the arrest just couldn't be made yet. So I can only hope that like in Dylan's case, there ends up being some resolution once the police can really gain what they need to in order to move through a court of law. Okay, guys, that's it for today. I know this is a little bit of a shorter one, but these unsolved cases tend to be. I try to shoot for the 40-minute mark for you guys at least, but for the unsolved ones, I just don't have as long of a story to tell for you. But as you know, I'm passionate about telling unsolved stories. So thank you so much for listening today, guys. Big shout out to my listener who requested this case. I really am glad to represent Kaylea's case on Altitude Crime. So thank you so much. 
And don't forget to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform. And you can connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Altitude Crime Podcast and Facebook and Twitter at Altitude Crime. As always, you can visit the website altitudecrime.com for source materials and the link for merch. As always, I am so grateful that you spent part of your week with me, and I'm looking forward to covering another case with you next week on Altitude Crime. Episode 21, The Greeley Mall Murder of Kalia Wilson, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by Podbean.com.